This is the Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. When Moses lifted up that snake, that bronze snake on a, on a stick, sounds almost like a really bad state fair food. I wonder, however, if he knew that he was forecasting the, the ultimate salvation story of God. I wonder, wonder if he knew that what was happening there in the desert was something that was going to be repeated, say, 1,400, 1,500 years later in, in Jesus. Because the story of, of Numbers 21, it's not a fun story. It's not one that you tell at bedtime. Ooh, snakes, they came everywhere, bit people. Good night. It's not one of those that you, that you often share with the kids, but... It's a story there. Another one of the people of God basically denying his existence. If we go back to our reading from last week, Exodus 20, where we, where we got the Ten Commandments, and we read a little bit further on, we, we find out that they are terrified of this God they cannot control, this God who speaks to them. And so they basically tell him to shut up. They say, we don't want to hear from God. We only want to hear from you, Moses, because we might be able to control you, this, this God that thunders and lightnings and, and, and tells us uh, of some demands upon us. We don't like that God. And then just a few chapters later in Exodus 32, we got the golden calf. It's one of my favorite stories because uh, they do all this work to create this God made out of gold, a calf, and Moses finds out about it and he comes down the mountain and gets really angry and he comes to his brother and says, what did you do? And he said, well, I just took the gold, threw it in the fire and out came this calf, this amazing miracle. I, I don't know what happened here. And yet it was this moment again in the story of the people of God where they wanted something else, a God they could craft and mold and then here in Numbers, a reading in Numbers, after you get through the whole beginning part of Numbers with all the genealogies and counting and all these other things, finally it is time for them to see the promise fulfilled, the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis. Now they're on the outskirts and they're supposed to go in and they send out their spies, remember? But ten were bad and two were good. And Joshua and Caleb come and say, yes, we trust God in his promise. 
And the other 10 said, oh, heck no, there's giants. Our children will get killed. And so they say no to the land, no to the promise. And then we have this, another no, to the point that not only do they deny God, but they abhor his gifts. God had been providing them food and water all through the wilderness, providing manna from heaven that was raining down to them and, and quail flying in that they could just pluck them out of the sky and water from a rock. And yet they say, there's no food, there's no water, and we despise what God has, has given us. And I think 3,500 years later, is there much distance between us and them. I think about the times where I often don't want to hear from God. Maybe the times that our Bibles stay on the shelf a little too long, get that coat of dust, or how much time passes between when we have the chance to gather and worship. That's one, been one of the difficulties of the pandemic, hasn't it? Or how often we craft our own God, whatever that God might look like, the God of politics, the God of sports, the God of our families, something we can mold and control. Or how often it is that we don't trust in the promise of God, the promise that, that we hear this morning in the verse that we all know, that we may have t-shirts with it on there, that we see it at football games, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. And then how often we want to go our own way, or that we even deny the gifts of God. I was thinking about that, the denial of the gifts of God, and when watching and, and hearing about the, the interview of, of Harry and, and, and Megan by, by Oprah. Thinking of this story, this should be a Disney script. It should be on the Hallmark Channel. The, the headline should be, American Girl Makes Good. Uh, American Girl Who Grew Up in a Dysfunctional Home. Marries a prince. Gets worth millions of dollars. Gets the chance to be interviewed by a woman worth $2 billion on primetime TV. And yet, that's not the story that's told. And in part, maybe, what the story that should be told is that all the money... All the fame, all the fairy tales are not enough. That there's something missing, and maybe it's that thing that we deny. And so enter the snakes on a plain. Snakes there in that desert plain. But the greatest thing about it is that just like all the other stories of God in the scriptures, it's not really about the snakes. Yes, the snakes come. But it's actually about that one snake, that one serpent, the, the bronze serpent that, that Moses is told to make, the, the snake that, that Jesus talks about here in John 3 with Nicodemus and, and hands over to us, the one that's lifted up in the wilderness, the one that everyone is told, look at it and live. There's nothing special about it. There was no voodoo that came out. It didn't shoot uh, vaccine darts out of its mouth to heal everybody. No, instead they heard a word, a promise, that was attached to this thing and that was said, look at it and live. 
And then Christ now plucks that story out and he places it here before us on a silver platter. He hands it over to Nicodemus. He hands it over to us and he says, that was me. And now I am fulfilling that for you, he says. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Must. A necessity placed there. Something necessary. For Israel, it was an immediate need. There were snakes biting people. People were dying. For us, it is this need that often plagues us that we want to deny this wrath of God coming to us in our fears. The pandemic has brought those out, but our fears of death, our fears of the end of time, our fears of that last period at the end of the very last paragraph of our life, our fears of that word to perish in John 3.16, that, that, that fear of actually being annihilated. That's what the word means. It's the word that we tend to gloss over in John 3.16 because we love what God loved. We love gave his son. We, we love eternal life. And we kind of sort of go around that word of shall not perish. But that word, it does mean in the Greek, absolute annihilation, ultimate destruction, something more than just death. And so there is this, this thing that comes to us, this, this need that we have to have those fears relieved. And so there is a greater necessity than ever for us to have a place to look, to know that those fears are relieved by something. For Israel, it was that bronze serpent. And it was a symbol. It was actually a symbol of God's judgment upon them. And it became actually a reminder of their confession and of their sin. In verse 7 in, in Numbers 21, they, they come to Moses and they say, we have sinned by speaking against God and against you. Pray to God that he'll take away the snakes. And so Moses lifts up the serpent and they see there, they're reminded of their sin, they're reminded of that confession. And they can recall all the things they're not proud of. And yet they hear the promise, look at it and live. And something comes from that for them, a healing life. And so Christ gifts that same thing to us, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Christ must come to us in our sin. He must be lifted up for us to have somewhere to look. He must become a reminder for us on that cross. On that cross lies our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin for us. He didn't know sin before, but he became it for us. All our sin there on that cross. All our fears, all our attempts to deny God his place in our lives. The cross with that Christ becoming an essential part of our faith, but also a stumbling block because it tells us of our need. We see Jesus there hanging on the cross and we're reminded of our sin. We see Jesus hanging on the cross and we're reminding that, reminded that death is real. We're reminded of our rebe rebellion and yet we're also reminded of our salvation, of what comes to us to alleviate those fears to alleviate 
what most ails us. I love a good crucifix. I love it. I, I, I don't tend to like the empty cross. I, I like the Jesus on there. I see in the crucifix almost another sacrament because you look at it and there's a promise attached to it and there's a thing that you can see, which was that's a sacrament. It's a promise with a thing attached to it. And you look at a crucifix and there hangs Jesus for you. We see our sins there and know that that blood that was spilt was spilt because of me because of you. A body torn because I spend my days wandering in the wilderness, blaming everyone but me for my own failings, denying myself God's grace, denying myself God's gifts. And so my sin places him there and I look at it and I say, I did that. But then the Spirit comes to me and speaks to me of the promise and the promise says, no, he did that. There in Christ, yes, lies my sin. But there in Christ lies Christ for me. On the cross, taking it away, killing it, and then rising from the dead to prove to me that death can't hold him and neither can my sin or my fears. And the same for you. So this Lent, church, I, I give you a task. If you don't already have one, go online, go to your favorite bookstore, Buy yourself a crucifix. Put it on the wall in your house. Take it down every night when you have family devotions or, or your own prayer times and look at it. Be reminded of what was done for you, why it happened, but even more so that he did it for you. Because that is Lent. We make this journey to Calvary with Jesus to know that there was our sin. But also there is the promise of God, of life everlasting in him, so that our fears of death cannot rule us. Our fears of not having enough cannot rule us. And instead what does is a Jesus on a cross, handing over the promise, saying, I did this for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.